Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side, Chief. It was coming back from the island of Tinian Taledi. Just delivered the bomb. The Hiroshima bomb. Eleven hundred men went into the water. Vessel went down in twelve minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about a half an hour. Tiger. Thirteen-footer, you know. You know that when you're in the water, Chief, you tell by looking for the dorsal to the tail? Well, we didn't know. Because our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. They didn't even list us overdue for a week. The very first light, Chief, the sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like a, you see on a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo. And the idea was, the shark's nearest man, and he'd start pounding and hollering and screaming, and sometimes the shark would go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know, the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, it doesn't seem to be living. Till he bites you and those black eyes roll over white. And then, uh, then you hear the terrible high-pitched screaming and the oceans turn red. And in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and rip you to pieces. You know, by the end of that first dawn, lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks, maybe a thousand. I don't know how many men. They averaged six an hour. On Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine. Herbie Robinson from Cleveland, baseball player, Bossom's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up, bobbed up and down in the water, just like a kind of top, upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon the fifth day, a Lockheed Ventura saw us. Swung in low, and he saw us. He's a young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper anyway. He saw us and come in low, and three hours later, a big fat PBY comes down and starts to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened. Waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So 1,100 men went into the water, 316 men come out, the sharks took the rest, June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Hey there, you're in the right place. This is part four of our five-part series about learning from the milestone adventure at the Temple of Borlain. Thunderdome! Delivering conflict into your game, both in and out of combat. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. Drama is conflict. I recited an eerie monologue given by Robert Shaw in the movie Jaws, based on the book by Peter Benchley. I chose that monologue because it's dense with conflict, but it's neither a fight scene nor is it happening in the present moment, and yet it serves to ratchet up the tension in a way that I think is important to an RPG. The old sea captain Quint is recounting the unfortunately real-life tale of what happened to the men on board the USS Indianapolis during World War II. In this nested story within a story, the hero is Quint, and the antagonists are the sharks, or maybe time. You know he makes it, because, well, he's telling you the story, but that's not the conflict it's really delivering. 
The real conflict is about the three men on board Quint's fishing boat as they hunt the great white shark that's been terrorizing the small summer town depicted in the film. This story reminds them that sharks are killing machines, and he's just talking about a 13-foot tiger shark. They're hunting something much, much worse. This monologue ratchets up the stakes and somewhat foreshadows events to come. Conflict is resistance. It is that thing between what is wanted and the one who wants it. It can be emotional, physical, human, animal, or just a thing, like miles of ocean or a mystic barrier. In drama, conflict is most often between two or more people. There is nothing like an active, intelligent adversary who is not only in your way, but is working against you, except maybe an inhuman, unstoppable killing machine. And something is at stake. The stakes are what sets the tone for the conflict. Life and death are common stakes, but it can be money, embarrassment, bragging rights over a wager, anything small or large, so long as it's important to the characters involved. This is true in fiction, and it's true in an RPG. In fact, I think a lot of issues with games can be solved with better designed stakes. Many games I encounter will deliver combat after combat after combat, and the game will feel enjoyable, but not great. There is the presumption that life or death is at stake during combat. But is it? Just because the adversaries will kill you doesn't mean they can. Most players can tell within the first round of combat if they are in any real danger. Actually, what is at stake are resources. They're fighting, yes, to kill the monsters, but the true stakes are how many hit points, spells, or special abilities they will have to employ to win. The stakes might even be, will I get to do this cool move of mine before someone else kills the monster? It's possible that if the game is not that exciting, it's not actually about how worthy the challenge is, but how badly the PCs want something. Ever had players ask, why are we doing this again? Put on your player cap for a moment. If you were the player, what would be more exciting? Scenario A. To get a lot of gold, you must defeat Tiberian, the mutant dragon with two heads. One head breathes lightning and the other poison gas, but when they combine them, it creates a death cloud that none can withstand. Or scenario B. Your cousin has framed you for the murder of your father and has usurped your throne. The only witness capable of exonerating you is being held by a small band of goblins. Which one of these will compel you more? Which one will you fight to win or die trying? Which one would get you personally emotional about the encounter? When talking about character high points in our game, Joe noted the time they went to exact revenge on Captain Castigari, who abandoned them for dead in the first game session. There's a reason so many action films note, this time it's personal. Even Jaws 4 was all about the shark wanting revenge. Probably a Bad example, don't watch that movie. As you plot out and design conflict, you need to consider the stakes and, most importantly, what choices are involved. These two things are the basis for great conflicts. First, let's talk about stakes. In the last podcast, we talked a lot about PC motivation, and that helps relate the character to the stakes, but stakes are a bit different from motivation. It's the difference between wanting to stop the shark attacks and being eaten by said shark. The stakes are what make something worthy. If Chief Brody in Jaws could just lure the shark up with chum and then shoot it dead, this would be a big old shrug. 
Yes, it was too easy, but worse, Brody would not have risked anything. In our game, the players were on a quest for the Balnexicon. But what was at stake was not the Balnexicon. At stake was the town of Borlane and ultimately the Rootlands. They had to stop Agoramaya to prevent her from using the Balnexicon and the temple to disrupt the protective power that held back the blighted lands from overtaking the town. Why that matters to the PC varies from PC to PC. Maybe it's altruism. If there was a lawful good character, for sure it would be about saving the people in harm's way. If that's not enough, the PCs themselves are in danger because they're in the town. What's at stake is their own life as well as the wealth and prosperity that can theoretically come from recovering the ancient book. In fiction, there are often rising stakes, which is to say as the story progresses, the importance of what is at stake increases. You can often break these things down to internal and external stakes. Take Jaws. What is at stake is the prosperity of a summer town. If the shark attacks drive away tourists, then everyone will suffer. This is an external stake. Later, the fishing boat is sinking and the stakes are survival. The most internal stake you can have. Kill the shark or be eaten. With the Balnexicon, it starts personal to make money off the book or to gain power from the book, and it becomes external, save the town. I've been talking about the stakes as they plot across a larger story, but conflict exists on multiple levels. Just before the Jaws monologue I recited, there's a scene in the movie where the men get drunk and show each other their scars. What's at stake is their camaraderie, acceptance, and reputation within their micro-social circle. It's not life or death, but the audience is engaged. This is one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. No one's in danger of dying, and it delivers comic relief. If you watch Critical Role, think of how oddly enjoyable it is to watch the characters haggle with a shop owner or just talk to each other. As professional actors, they are improvising using skills that are subtle, but extremely useful for gamers. They're establishing scene goals or stakes and working around that tension or conflict within the scene to illustrate a relationship or set up future conflicts. In both of these examples, the stakes are low, but low is not zero. Something in the middle would be wealth or reputation. Think of when Critical Role depicts characters taking part in something like a drinking game. If there is a dwarf in your party, I guarantee you the stakes will be somewhat high if they partake in a drinking game. No one will die, and they don't really care about the money. What's at stake is the dwarf's reputation as a world-class alcoholic. In our game, the crew had to save a farmer from a pack of undead. They needed him to complete their quest. The stakes escalated when the undead proved to be worthy adversaries who almost killed the new bard character. It moved from being a stake about the life of a farmer to being about their own lives. Can the stakes go beyond death? Absolutely. What if the demon can devour your soul? More common, what about your family's lives being at stake, or your home village or the world? Heroic fantasy is thick with heroes dying to save the lives of others. What that has to mean is that there are situations where your own death is preferable to the alternative. Those are stakes that go beyond just life and death, and they speak to community and the human condition. Heady stuff, to say the least. Because of the nature of RPGs, sometimes there is one player with huge stakes in the conflict, and a bunch of characters whose stake is that they want to help their friend. That's okay. Just make sure everyone gets a turn. Besides, along the way, chances are all their lives will be at risk. When you're designing a social encounter, or an exploration scene, or a combat, 
Be clear on what is at stake, at least to yourself. If you're drawing a blank, that's a good diagnostic tool to let you know you need to add something, usually some context, or to set up a need for the characters. Which brings us full circle to motivation from the last podcast. If you have a good handle on what motivates your player characters, then you'll know what buttons to push. So that's stakes. Next up is choice. I maintain that the building blocks of RPGs are player choice. If you want to know if a choice is real, ask yourself what's at stake. Quickly, the decision to go left or right down the dungeon is revealed to be what it is, a fake choice. True, meaningful choice works hand-in-hand with the stakes. The first choice I gave the players in the campaign had three basic options. They had just fought their way off what was supposed to be their escape vessel. Her captain had betrayed and tried to kill them. Pirates were rushing at them across the sand dunes from another boat, and the forbidden jungle lay at the far end of the beach. They could try to retake their escape vessel, they could stand and fight, or they could run and hide. Their lives were at stake, but also the path home was at stake. Which would they prioritize? If they were wary of being abandoned on this island, which was established as being particularly dangerous, they would stand and fight. But survival, immediate survival, was paramount for them, so they chose the jungle. The path home would have to come later. The dreaded railroad is when stakes exist without choice. The only way to do this is to fight your way through the dungeon and kill the dragon. There is no other option. At least, no meaningful option. For the temple at Borlane, the first crossroads is the town itself. How do the PCs approach, and who do they talk to? As I've mentioned, Borlane is a thinly veiled Orlane from the old module against the cult of the reptile god. The cultists have taken over some of the people in the town, and they are the villain's first line of defense. What could have been an investigation of sorts quickly devolved into a combat when the PCs engaged with the constable, who was a cultist, and then proceeded to openly mention Agoramaya. Using her name was essentially a death sentence. When the players made that choice, another player at the table had to make a choice. Me. As DM, I'm a player too, and I chose how the locals would react. A big combat ensued. We're going to get into combat in the next part of the podcast. Following that battle, the party had to decide how to proceed, ultimately leading to a stealthy entrance into the temple the next night. I amended the temple defenses based on the time the PCs took to recover after the battle. It iterated from there, but one of the next things I injected was Agora Maya telepathically trying to make deals with each character based on the weak points in the group. She offered to help them achieve some goal or exaggerated concern she knew they might have. As fun as this was, this was one of those non-choice encounters. I suppose the PCs could have negotiated, but at this point it was clear she was manipulating them. There was only one choice. And that's where things got a bit railroady. It's okay, these things happen, and when you're trying to wrap up a big story, it might happen to you too. From here on, it was really a choice between pressing forward or turning back. Through the maze to fight a troll and lose their friend to an intellect devour, down to the sub-temple and through some traps where they could resurrect Voss. Before we get into what happened then, I want to close out my thoughts on choice. If you're connecting PC motivation to risk and reward in the form of stakes, but something's not quite gelling in your game, think about the choices you're putting in front of them. Are they real? Can the PCs solve a situation in multiple ways, or is there only one way to win? It's okay to railroad here and there, 
Otherwise, you'll lose your mind. But there needs to be legitimate moments where you hand the reins of the story over to your players and let them pick. How flexible are you to consider solutions you didn't think of? Better yet, what choice can you put in front of the players that will confound them and force them to further define their characters? Two man enter, one man leave. Combat sits at the heart of the game. It is the default conflict in D&D, and your characters are mechanically designed around it. It can be thrilling. It can be fulfilling. It can be high stakes, and it is natively thick with choices. But I would submit that it can easily be very, very, very boring from the player's perspective. Problem the first. Combat slows the game down. The players do a lot of sitting around while they wait for their turn. As a player, I've been in games where it was 20 minutes or more between turns for me. The game can get scary complicated. 5e is a lot better about this than 4e, but it can still be a bit of a slog. Problemo 2. Mathing is hard. Rule density is at a maximum during combat. Opportunity attacks, sub-rule systems for special maneuvers, spells, all of these things have lots of bits and pieces to add to the game on top of dice rolls, bonuses, damage rolls. It can devolve into hit, miss, 12 damage, I move two squares. And while you're waiting for your turn, listening to other people's math is extra boring. Unless you're a rules nerd, which is a whole other horrible thing. Problem three. Probability is anticlimactic. This one's a bit weird, so stay with me. Rolling dice is all about probability. Probability is hardwired into reality, like the real-world reality. If you build an RPG system that did not favor the players, you would kill them all. In the real world, if you fought a dragon, no matter how badass you are, it would kill you so hard. To make it not suck, the game gives the PCs all kinds of advantages, like more hit points as you level up. In real life, we all have one hit point, and no, that arrow does not give a singular crap about your constitution score. I'm sure someone smarter than me has given this a name, but there is a point in most fights, usually somewhere near the middle, where it's over and one side is just cleaning up. You can tell it's happening because some of your PCs will likely break off from the actual fighting to heal others, look for treasure, etc., while the real aggressive ones keep attacking the stragglers, but stop using any real spells or exhaustible abilities. Fiction isn't like that. The good guy is about to lose when he pulls a rabbit out of his ass, except it's not a rabbit, it's an oxygen tank stuck in the shark's mouth. He shoots and blows that shark to hell. So to recap... Combat is slow, mathing is hard, and probability probability is anticlimactic. In a nutshell, it lacks conflict. Not really, but I hope you know what I mean. It can become the statistical version of a bloody good fight instead of a bloody good fight. You'll be shocked to hear that my approach is to use stakes and choice. In combat, the stakes should be life and death, but they can even be more than that. You can add in something to be captured, something to be protected, a goal that is not to simply kill everything on the board. What if the party wants to gain silent entrance? When sneaking into the temple, the party's plan, their choice, was impacted by needing to get inside without raising the alarm. The battle with the Goromaya needed to be special. I had been building up to this conflict since almost the beginning of the campaign, 
And that's the main way I raise stakes. Build up. I selected that monologue from Jaws at the top of the podcast because it's a clever way they built tension. By talking about what it was like to suffer a shark attack, it helped to transfer the horror directly into the minds of the listeners. Not just death, but the horrible waiting in the ocean water, half in and half out. Unable to tell if a shark was coming up beneath you. I built tension for this encounter as they moved through the temple. First, they could hear drums echoing from the depths. It lingered through a short rest they took until it suddenly stopped. They knew Agoramaya was performing some ritual. Were they too late? Then there was her telepathic negotiations. That solidified that they wanted her dead. The attempted manipulation, trying to turn them against each other, helped to make it personal. They got into the supposedly final chamber, and no one was there. A few traps, and they started the resurrection ritual to raise Voss. It was almost like a dropped beat, but that's when she came. They heard her coming ahead of time, and so they closed the doors to seal themselves inside. Whatever was coming sounded big, thrumming through the lower caverns and surging towards them. Then it stopped. Silence for a few moments before a noxious gas bled up through the cracks under the door. After a round of constitution saves, those who were holding the door decided to pull back, and that's when she burst inside. Agoramaya was a custom build. She's a hag who had become a naga. She had spells, and I designed her with legendary actions. She coiled about the room, biting and swiping with her tail. She used spells and did so as legendary reactions. The party was already taxed and they needed to hold long enough for Voss to be fully resurrected. Yes, their survival was at stake, but also the life of their fallen comrade was on the line as well. They did massive damage to her even as she laid heavily into them. And then she retreated. I did it to both raise the stakes and give choice. The party had time to set up for this part of the combat. They chose to fall back into the room versus face her in the outer cavern. That choice led to my selection of her stinking cloud attack, and then she retreated. They had another big choice to make. Follow her or call it a win and move on. After a brief debate, they chased her down a dark chasm and into her final lair. You may say, well, that's also a non-choice. Of course they're going to chase her down and finish her off. Except, this chasm she went down was pitch black, and they had, when they first encountered it, they had disregarded it as even an option to go down there. This was a party that was low on everything that you want in place when you're fighting an adversary. Throughout the adventure, I pushed this group past the point of comfort. They were always looking for the long rest and choosing to press onward instead. The party was almost devoid of resources when they followed her down. They hoped her wounds were too grievous and that she would be easy to finish off. In her final lair, Yuan-Ti joined the fight and the party found themselves split. They had to choose how to handle a two-front battle while low on hit points. In the end, they were able to defeat her but not before she fried them with a lightning bolt. Jarrus, the bard, went down, as did the newly risen Voss. The choices across this final battle had to do with terrain, descending further into certain danger, how to manage a two-front battle, and ultimately to make the party pay for this victory. 
To enhance conflicts in your combat, consider what's at stake. Consider raising those stakes throughout the combat and identifying true choices within the encounter. Can they prepare for the battle? What tactics will the villain employ to force hard decisions? Can they split the party up? Are there multiple objectives? What can you place in jeopardy? Can someone snatch the fighter's magic sword they love and run behind their lines? Will the fighter pursue? There are obviously a ton of ways to spice up combat. I've found that focusing on the elements of dramatic conflict can lead you to more useful solutions for engaging your players. Next up in part five of this five-part series is Big Finishes with New Hooks. How to provide a satisfying end with leads for the next adventure. This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. If you're enjoying the podcast, the best thing you can do is help us extend and promote our listenership. Depending on the platform you use for podcasts, you can give us a review, you can like, you can click the heart button, or you can reach out to us on social media. I'm on Twitter at AnatomyCamp, and you can reach me via email at phil at campaignanatomy.com. As ever, no players were physically harmed during the recording of this podcast. Thank you for listening.